If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Micah chapter 5 and Luke chapter 1. Micah chapter 5 and Luke chapter 1. When I was uh, much younger than I am now, when I was a kid, in December, uh, about two weeks before Christmas, mom and dad would find a Christmas tree. It was always a live Christmas tree, so they didn't put it up until like within two weeks, sometimes a week before Christmas. And I liked it because I could smell the evergreen through the living room. I didn't much like the needle shedding, and it didn't matter how much water we put in the little cup at the bottom of the tree, they still shed needles. But that was mom and dad's concern. My concern was sizing up the presents under the tree. And uh, for me at that time, bigger was better. Uh, And I wanted to find the bigger presents, and I wanted or hoped that the bigger presents had my name on them. There were two things that I absolutely did not want to see as a kid. One was the smallest gift with my name on it, or a gift with my name on it that appeared that it might have clothes in it. Even as an old man, I am not that crazy about gifts that appear that they might be holding clothes. Uh, It carries over, that attitude carries over from my childhood, I suppose. Um, And usually, boxes, gift wrap boxes that had clothes were among the smaller gifts. They weren't the smallest, but they were among the smaller ones. So I didn't like them. Um, But that's not an attitude that's shared by our Lord. It seems that throughout the Bible and even in real life, it's the small things that have the greatest significance. And that's what I want to talk with you about this morning, the significance of small things. The passage from Micah chapter 5 is one that we call a messianic prophecy. There are hundreds of those in the Old Testament. A messianic prophecy is something that God inspired a person to say about the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, and they said it hundreds of years before he actually came. That's a messianic prophecy. Micah chapter 5, beginning with verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, Ephratah was an even more ancient name for Bethlehem than the Jewish name for that city. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. 
In Luke chapter 1, Mary, who's about to be the mother of Jesus, encounters an angel who tells her that she is about to give birth to the Son of God. The angel also tells her about her relative Elizabeth, who is expecting a child, and that child will be John the baptizer. After receiving that news, Mary breaks out into a song. I wish I knew the tune to it. I don't, but the words themselves are among the most beautiful that you'll find written anywhere. Verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies, glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Micah prophesied during the 8th century B.C., somewhere around 715, 710 B.C. There was another prophet, went by the name of Zechariah. Zechariah prophesied during the 5th century, somewhere around 450 B.C. The people of Judah who had been in captivity for over 70 years in Babylon, had been set free to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Their leader was a man by the name of Zerubbabel, and he was given the responsibility to rebuild the temple, and they started the rebuilding. But they encountered opposition, and they encountered discouragement, and that discouragement gave birth to despair, and they stopped building. And God sent two prophets around 450 B.C., one by the name of Haggai, the other one by the name of Zechariah, and they tag-teamed as they spoke to the people of Israel. Both of them saying, you need to get up and you need to get to the business of rebuilding the temple of our Lord. It's a shame that it lies in ruins. And the people were saying to them, they said, we're only too few. There's only so much that so few can do. And it was Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, who said to the people, Who among you will despise the day of small things? What he was saying to them was that God can use small things, small groups, today small churches, today small people, to do great things. It was that way throughout the Bible. The Bible says it was Jochebed, the, light, uh, Jochebed, the mother of Moses, who, who took a rod and pushed her baby Moses in an, an ark, a, 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 a raft made of thatch, and, and used that rod to push him out into the Nile River where Pharaoh's daughter heard the baby cry and asked for the ark to be brought to her. And they saw the baby, and her heart melted when she saw the baby. It was Jochebed. I bet most folks didn't even know what Moses' mother's name was. A small act by a small person. And yet, 
an act that was great when placed in the hands of God. When Israel entered the promised land after spending 40 years in the wilderness, Moses having died, Joshua succeeding him, they cross the Jordan and they are in the promised land. The first city they face is the city of Jericho. It's a walled fortress of a city. And Joshua sends some spies into Jericho. They went into Jericho and they found a prostitute. Her name was Rahab. And Rahab housed these spies. And when it was found out that the spies were there and there was a contract put out for their lives, Rahab let them down secretly. It was a small act, a small cord that let them down. But it was something that was used mightily in the hands of God. In the book of Judges, a book that we're going to be studying during January and February on Sunday mornings for the sermon time, you remember, I know the man Samson. The strong man, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Luferigno of the Old Testament. You may remember one time that he defeated a group of hostile Philistines, a large group of soldiers, fighting men, and Samson standing all alone, and he defeated them. Do you remember what he beat them up with? The jawbone of a donkey. Something small but again used by God to accomplish great things. The Bible says that when the Apostle Paul was in prison, carried, uh, he was in prison in Jerusalem, and then he was carried from there to Caesarea. The Bible says that he was, he was rescued by being let down in a basket from a second floor window. A basket. It wasn't a bomb. It wasn't some sort of a, a special operations unit that had to go in. It was a basket that, that God used to rescue the Apostle Paul. Throughout the Bible, we are told in, in subliminal voices, never disdain the day of small things. Even the Apostle Paul, when he prayed in, in, Corinth, in his letter to the Corinthians, he, he had a thorn in the flesh that we don't know exactly what it was, and he prayed three times that God would remove that thorn, remove that struggle, and God's response to him was, I'm not going to remove it. My grace is sufficient for you, for my, for my strength is made perfect or complete. How? In your weakness. Let me put that another way. In your smallness. It is in the small things that God seems to do His greatest work. And in the two Christmas passages for this, this morning, for this Sunday before Christmas, we're drawn, I believe, to small things. The prophet Micah, in the late 700s, right around the time of the Assyrian invasion of the northern kingdom of Israel, he predicted a king would come from Bethlehem town. David's town, small town. And so that's the first small thing that we see in these passages. There was a small town. Of all towns, why Bethlehem? Bethlehem, a town whose population was probably at that time uh, smaller than the population of Palmetto, Georgia. Why not uh, Moscow or why not 
Istanbul or why not uh, New York or why not Tokyo or why not uh, Mumbai? Why not some big city? God chose a small town. Whenever I thought about this, I couldn't help but think about my buddy John Mellencamp. Well, we were not really buddies, but I like him. I especially like his song. He says, well, I was born in a small town, and I live in a small town. Probably will die in a small town, one of those small communities. All my friends are so small town. My parents live in that same small town. And my job is so small town, provides very little opportunity. I was educated in a small town, taught to fear Jesus in a small town, used to daydream in that same small town. Another born romantic, why, that's me. Well, I was born in a small town. I can breathe in a small town. Gonna die in this same small town. And that's probably where they'll bury me. God chose to bring his son himself in human flesh to birth in a small town. Bethlehem, the house of bread is what the name means, the house of bread. But it wasn't a huge mega franchise bread store. It was a mom and pop bakery. It was Joe's Bakery on the corner or Joanne's Deli on the side. Struggling, Jesus brought, God brought the bread of life in a small town. Not only was it a small town, but it was a small nation, Israel. So strategically located, right there in the Fertile Crescent. I mean, for anybody from the Far East to get to the Far West or from the Far West to get from the Far East, uh, uh, in a day when there were no airlines, you almost had to go through that little narrow strip of land that we know as Israel. Even today, so small, seemingly insignificant in terms of its size. The nation of Israel today has a population of 7.5 million people. By contrast, you know how many people are in Georgia? 9.6 million people. There are more people in Georgia by over 2 million people than there are in that little tiny nation of Israel today. The whole uh, geographical area of the nation of Israel is just shy of 28,000 square miles. By contrast, the state of Georgia, our state, is 59,400 square miles. Israel is just a little blip on the screen. And yet, it's the nation that God chose as his very own. It's the nation that God chose to bring into the world his son, our Savior and our Lord. And even today, it's amazing when you consider the population of Israel and the square area of Israel and realize how significant, how many things in the news, how many news stories internationally include the name Israel, Israelis. It's significant, small, but significant. A small town, Bethlehem, a small nation, Israel, and a small person, Mary. Mary. Mary from the town of Nazareth. Probably wanted to give birth to her boy in Nazareth. She didn't know he was a boy I, I, at that time. I, 
She didn't know that he was going to be a boy until the angel talked to her. And I don't know where she was at the time that the angel talked to her. But I'm assuming that that before the angel talked to her, she, she just knew she was going to have a baby. And she wanted to have that baby at the Nazareth General Hospital. But it wasn't to be. Nazareth. Nazareth today is about the size of Noonan. Population is mostly Palestinian Arab. How about that? It's the largest Arab population city in the state of Israel. And it was the to become the hometown of Jesus. It was not his birthplace, but it was the native town of Mary. This Mary. If she had a last name, we don't know what it was. Mary. It's amazing, if you study anything about the ancient kings of almost any country, when they went to take a wife, quite often they would look for the daughters of some other monarch in some other country and and bring them to that king to to join not only a marriage but also political uh, reconciliation between nations. And then they would give birth to children and those children would be royal and, and people would look for Uh, wives or husbands from other royal families of other nations to come. Here's Mary. God did not choose the queen of uh, Judah or the queen of Egypt or the queen of, of Babylon or Assyria or England or the first lady or the first family of the United States to be the mother of his son. He chose Mary. Mary, she's pregnant. She's pregnant. Is she riding a donkey? Is she being pulled by a wagon? I don't know which one she is. She's on her way with Joseph. Is is she married to Joseph? No, she's espoused to him. Well, what does that mean? It's a little more important than being engaged, but not quite being married. And oh my goodness, the girl's pregnant. There's going to be a scandal. People are talking. People are sniggering. They won't look you right in the eye. They'll look at you as you go by, and when you lift up your head, they turn away and they snigger. You can hear the sniggers. She's on her way to Bethlehem. She was small. Not small in size. I don't know what size she was. But she was small in terms of her stature. What in the world would God see in a little woman from a place called Nazareth? You know what Nazareth, the name has in some some circles has been attached to, it's been attached to the redneck city of Israel. You remember what uh, Nathaniel and Philip, Philip went to, went to Nathaniel and he said, look, we found, we found the one that, that, that Moses and the prophets was talking about. I said, who? He said, he said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, how can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come on. <laughs> Mary came out of Nazareth. She was a redneck girl out of Nazareth and God chose her, this small town girl, this small girl, to be the mother of God. Small town, small nation, small person, small baby. You know, when God created Adam, he didn't create Adam as a baby. He created Adam as an adult man. Uh, Adam is, 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 along with Eve, They were the only two people 
who, when they were two or three days old, looked like they were 30. God could have come into this world as a fully equipped adult man-God. But he didn't. He didn't choose to come as a six-foot-one, 30-year-old man around 200, 215. He didn't choose to come that way. Instead, he came as a baby. A baby who whimpered and cried. A baby who grew in favor and size and knowledge, Luke says. A baby. Did they really understand? Could they really fathom Mary, Joseph, the innkeeper, whatever he was at that place that said no vacancy, the wise men, the shepherds, could they really fathom Anna, Simeon at the temple eight days later, could they really fathom that this baby was the very God that they would need to have eternal life? A small baby. And that baby brought about a great salvation. Small things. In 1845, Julia Fletcher Carney, a school teacher in Boston, was preparing a Bible lesson for her children, and she wanted to emphasize the value of small things. And so she wrote this poem. She said this. She says, little drops of water, little grains of sand, make the mighty ocean and the pleasant land. So the little moments, humble though they be, make the mighty ages of eternity. It's the little things. A friend of mine recently received a card. It wasn't a Christmas card. It was, uh, it was just a card. It was just a card with, with a blank page on the, on the inside, and there, were hand, there was a handwritten note. Eight words, I think it was, seven or eight words. Something like this. I would never have made it without you. That's all it said and a first name. you have any idea what those seven or eight words meant to that fellow? A little smile, a pat on the back, a word of encouragement, small acts, small gifts. Are they really small? It's amazing how things like that we don't consider to be very big. But then again, I think that may be our tendency to take big things that are really big and think that they are too small to be worried about. It can be, it can be that we need to do some small thing and it be big and we don't realize how big it can be. Or we can commit some, to us, seemingly small transgression. And because it wasn't murder or something big, we think that it wasn't really big.
these reckless little, little sins that are done with no concern, sear the haughty rebel's heart as they smolder, then they burn. Larger, larger, even larger does the mess of evil swell like a snowball rolling down a hill into eternal hell. Small things, very, very significant. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. What does Christmas look like? I think the older I get, it's looking like a small package. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for small things. We thank you for a small baby born to a small person woman in a small town in a small nation and we thank you for how great that small baby is our Heavenly Father I think back to a Sunday night in August in 1968 when I did a small thing that you asked me to do. I invited you into my heart. It was a small, small step that has directed the course of my life and the same thing is true of so many people in this room. There was a time when they said yes. A small, small step that has greatly affected their lives. Lord, somebody in this building needs to take that step. Somebody in this building needs to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And Lord, I pray that whoever that is, when we stand to sing, they'll come and say yes to you. Father, somebody needs to do something, some small something for somebody. And a word of encouragement, a pat on the back, a hug, a prayer. Lord, help us to realize the significance of small things this Christmas. Because the greatest gifts are in the small boxes. In Jesus' name, amen.